Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, so, Happy New Year. This is our first Sunday of 2016. And um, I know we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and I promise you we will get back to it very likely next Sunday. Um, last week I shared with you uh, what I call prophetic insights for, for 2016. I came and sought the Lord and asked him to speak to me concerning the coming year, and he gave me insights for our church. He gave me some insights for Prince Edward Island and beyond our island, and I shared those with you. An audio copy of that is on the church website, and because people asked, I also attached my sermon notes. Some people wonder if there was some type of printout, and that was the, the closest that I had. And so um, some of the things I, I shared, what I perceive were coming for, the, for, for this year, uh, some of it were challenging, some of it was thought-provoking, uh, some of it was encouraging and hopeful. Uh, I thought there needed to be some uh, group response to it. And so this message is, uh, is toward that end. Um, some of the things I shared, just for us, I won't go that whole message again, but just hit a couple of the highlights. Well, I feel like the God, what God was speaking to me for the Charlottetown Vineyard for 2016 is that it would be a year of justice for injustices from the past, that there were people who have experienced injustice in the past, and it's payback time. It's in 2016, you will experience the justice, divine justice of God for injustices from the past. I had a sense that we would, as a, as a body, experience changing seasons, that that metaphorically, that spiritually, that we were going to move out of a winter season and into a springtime season. And um, that what would mark the changing of those seasons would be a shaking. What that shaking is, I don't know. I don't, didn't get any sense of, oh, this is what it'll be. But some, there'll be some type of shaking, and I know sometimes that makes people a little bit nervous, but it's a shaking that's going to take us from winter to springtime. And if you've endured any PEI winters, you know that that's a good thing, right? <laughs> Right? They, when they interviewed Nadine and I, they brought us out in July. They didn't bring us in February. They brought us in July. Come, you'll love it. It's beautiful here. Two snowiest winters of my whole... I've never seen so much snow like I have the last two winters. I'm just saying. Anyway, we'll move from, from winter to springtime, and I think that's good news. I said I felt like God's given us a song for the year, and he revealed that a, a few weeks earlier, and it's... Um, one of the newer worship songs we've been doing titled, We Will Not Be Shaken, right? For we trust in our God and in his unfailing love. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. Everything around us may be shaken. The world might be a crazy place to live in. But because we trust in him, even if everything else shakes, we get to stand with our feet on the solid rock, which is our faith in, in Christ our Lord. There's a verse for the year I feel like God gave us, and it's just apropos for a vineyard church. It's John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I felt that our purpose, our corporate purpose for 2016 was to remain in him. We remain in him, and God produces the fruit. It's not our job to produce the fruit. It's our job to remain. As we remain... His fruit flows through us and comes out of us. We bear or carry, as it were, the fruit God produces. Our calling is to live in union with God as our source. Um, I shared that I felt like in this coming year we're going to experience a redefining of what church is. And I think, I think the book club that starts on, on Tuesday on Wayne Jacobson's Finding Church, I think this is part of that, that that God will, for many of us, be redefining our understanding and our concept of church. And I think that's a good and a healthy thing. And the last thing I sensed uh, for us was a release of divine creativity. Uh, and that a childlikeness would make embracing this uh, creativity, this divine creativity, much more enjoyable. So that's just a quick review of the, the key things I sensed for us as a body uh, for this coming year. So on to today's, to today's message. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, popular verses. Uh, at some point in your life, you know, it was, it was engraved on, a, on a, you know, a Bible cover or a bumper sticker or a little card you pull out of the box that has scripture verses on it. This isn't all of them, all of them. And so, very familiar verses. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. In all of your ways, submit to Him. And He will make your path straight. So Lord, I thank you for the word and the truth that's in your word. Lord, I ask that you would speak to the Charlottetown Vineyard this morning about trust. About the essence and the reality of trust. And make it more real for us. Amen? Amen. Now trust is absolutely essential to any relationship. To any deep relationship. Certainly to any intimate relationship. Trust is essential. Without trust... There is no relationship, be it with God or with people. But, but what exactly, what specifically is trust? And how do we know who we can trust and who are the people that we shouldn't trust? Because we've got, all of us in our lives, we've got people in either camp. There are people that we absolutely should trust and some of us have a have problem with it. And then there are other people we shouldn't trust and we have a problem with that. And so it would be good for us to know. What trust is and, and who we should and shouldn't trust. So today I have to help toward that end. I have a practical video. Um, I think it will help answer some of those questions. It's, a, it's another excellent 24-minute video by author and TED Talks megastar Bene Brown. And the title of it is The Anatomy of Trust. Now the first three Sundays of June, we watched a series of videos by Bene Brown on, on three different topics. Uh, the first was called The Power of Vulnerability. The second was Listening to Shame. And the third was Daring Greatly. All three of them were excellent. And um, you can just go on YouTube, type in Bene Brown, those will pop right up. Um, and when we shared them over those three weeks period, it was very well received. Well, recently, I came across a fourth video by her I had not seen before. And um, Nay, you can bring that up. It's up already. She's sharp, boy, oh boy. So I watched this, and I thought that she had some brilliant insights on the topic of trust that would, um, that would be a great way to help launch us uh, into a new year. This video is part of a series hosted by Oprah Winfrey called Super Soul Sessions. And, um, and I really think you're going to like it. Why don't we watch this video and then I'll add my comments uh, at the end of it. Let me introduce you to our first supercharged super solar. Brene Brown. Oh, mama. She does not talk it off the top of her head. She is shining a megawatt light on the wounds of millions of people and beckoning all of us to join her on this path of healing. Here is the professor of daring greatly, wholehearted living and rising strong. Renee is here today to talk to you about the anatomy of trust. Renee Brown. stuff that I think matters um, in my life and the life of the people around me. 
And the topic of trust is something I think I probably would have eventually started to look at closely um, because I study shame and vulnerability. But there's a very personal reason I, I jumped to trust early in my research career, and it was a personal experience. Um, one day, my daughter, Ellen, came home from school. She was in third grade. And the minute we closed the front door, she literally just started sobbing and slid down the door until she was just kind of a heap of crying on the floor. And of course, I was, it scared me. And I said, I'm like, what's wrong, Ellen? What happened? What happened? And she pulled herself together enough to say, I, something really hard happened to me today at school, and I shared it with a couple of my friends during recess. And by the time we got back into the classroom, everyone in my class knew what had happened. And they were laughing and pointing at me and calling me names. And it was so bad, and the kids were being so disruptive, that her teacher even had to take marbles out of this marble jar. And the marble jar as a classroom is a jar where if the kids are making great, you know, great choices together, the teacher adds marbles. If they're making not great choices, the teacher takes out marbles. And if the jar gets filled up, there's a celebration about the, for the class. And so she said, it was one of the worst moments of my life. They were laughing and pointing, and Ms. Bach and my teacher kept saying, I'm going to take marbles out, you know, and she didn't know what was happening. And she looked at me, and she, just with this face that is just seared into my mind, and said, I will never trust anyone again. And my first reaction, to be really honest with you, was damn straight. Um, you don't tell anybody anything but your mama. Um, yeah, right? That's it. I mean, that was my, that was my like, you, you just tell me. And when you grow up and you go off to school, mama will go too. I'll get a little apartment. Um, and the other thing I was thinking, to be quite honest with you, is I will find out who those kids were. <laughs> and while I'm not going to beat up a nine-year-old, I know their mamas. Uh, I, that's, you know, that's the place you go to. And I'm like, how am I going to explain trust to this third grader in front of me? So I took a deep breath, and I said, Ellen, trust is like a marble jar. She said, what do you mean? And I said, you share those hard stories and those hard things that are happening to you with friends who, over time, you filled up their marble jar. They've done thing after thing after thing where you're like, I know I can share this with this person. Does that make sense? And that's what Ellen said. Yes, that makes sense. And I said, do you have any marble jar friends? And she said, oh, yeah, I totally. Hannah and Laura are marble jar friends. And I said, and then this is where things got interesting. I said, tell me what you mean. What, how, how do they earn marbles for you? And she's like, well, Lorna, if there's not a seat for me at the lunch cafeteria, she'll scoot over and give me half a Heine seat. <laughs> and I'm like, she will? She's like, yeah, she'll just sit, she'll just sit that like that until I can sit with her. And I said, that's a big deal. This is not what I was expecting to hear. And I said, then she said, and you know Hannah on Sunday at my soccer game? And I was waiting for this story where she said, I got hit by a ball, and I was laying on the field, and Hannah picked me up and ran me to first aid. Uh, and I was like, yeah? And she said, Hannah looked over, and she saw Oma and Opa, my parents, my, her grandparents, and she said, look, your Oma and Opa are here. And I was like, and I was like, boy, she got a marble for that? And she goes, well, you know, not all my friends have eight grandparents. Because um, my parents are divorced and remarried. My husband's parents are divorced and remarried. And she said, and it was so nice to me that she remembered their names. And I was like, hmm. And she said, do you have marble jar friends? And I said, yeah, I do have a couple of marble jar friends. And she said, well, what kind of things do they do to get marbles? And this feeling came over me, and I thought, the first thing I could think of, because we were talking about the soccer game, was that same game, my good friend Eileen walked up to my parents and said, Deanne, David, good to see you. And I remember what that felt like for me. And I was like, certainly, trust cannot be built by these small, insignificant moments in our lives. It's got to be a grander gesture than that. So, as a researcher, 
I start looking into the data. I gather up the doctoral students who've worked with me, we start looking, and it is crystal clear. Trust is built in very small moments. And when we started looking at examples of when people talked about trust in the research, they said things like, yeah, I really trust my boss. She even asked me how my mom's chemotherapy was going. I trust my neighbor. Because if something's going on with my kid, it doesn't matter what she's doing, she'll come over and help me figure it out. You know one of the number one things emerged around trust in small things? People who attend funerals. This is someone who showed up at my sister's funeral. Another huge marble jar moment for people, I trust him because he'll ask for help when he needs it. How many of you are better at giving help than asking for help? Right? So asking for help is one of those moments. So one of the ways I work as a grounded theory researcher is I look at the data first, then I go in and see what other researchers are talking about and saying, because we believe the best theories are not built on other existing theories, but on our own lived experiences. So after I looked at this, I said, let me see what the research says. And I went to John Gottman, who's been studying relationship for 30 years. He has amazing work on trust and betrayal. And the first thing I read, trust is built in the smallest of moments. And he calls them sliding door moments. Sliding doors is a movie um, with Gwyneth Paltrow from the 90s. Have y'all seen this movie? So it's a, it's a, it's a really tough movie, because what happens is it follows her life to this seemingly unimportant moment where she's trying to get on a train. And she makes the train, but the movie stops and splits into two parts, where she makes the train and she doesn't make the train. And it follows them to radically different endings. And he would argue that trust is a sliding door moment. And the example that he gives is so powerful. He said he was lying in bed one night, he had 10 pages left of his murder mystery, and he had a feeling he knew who the killer was, but he was dying to finish this book. So he said, I don't even want, I want to get up, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom and get back in and not have to get up. I just want, you know that feeling when you just want to get all situated and read the end of your book. So he gets up and he goes, he walks past his wife in the bathroom who's brushing her hair and who looks really sad. And he said, my first thought was just keep walking, just keep walking. <laughs> and how many of you have had that moment where you, you, you walk past someone and you're like, oh God, they look, avert your eyes. Like, or that you look at caller ID or your cell phone and you're like, oh yeah, I know, she's in a big mess right now. I don't have time to pick up the phone, right? Yes or no? This looks like guilty laughter to me. Um, so she, he said, that's a sliding door moment. And here's what struck me about his story. Because he said, there's the opportunity to build trust. And there is the opportunity to betray. Because as small as the moments of trust can be, those are the moments of betrayal as well. To choose to not connect when the opportunity is there is a betrayal. So he took the brush out of her hand and started brushing her hair and said, what's going on with you right now, babe? That's a moment of trust, right? So fast forward five years, and I'm clear about trust, and I, and I talk about trust as the marble jar. We had a really share our stories and our hard stuff with people whose jars are full. People who, over time, really done those small things that have helped us believe that they're worth our story. But the new question for me was this. What are those marbles? What is trust? What do we talk about when we talk about trust? Trust is a big word, right? To hear, I trust you or I don't trust you, I don't even know what that means. So I want to know what is the anatomy of trust? What does that mean? So I started looking in the research and I found a definition from Charles Feltman that I think is the most beautiful definition I've ever heard. And it's simply this. Trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Feltman says that distrust is what I have shared with you that is important to me is not safe with you. 
So I thought, that's true. And Feltman really calls for this, let's understand what trust is. So we went back into all the data to find out, can I figure out what trust is? Do I know what trust is from the data? And I think I do know what trust is. And I put together an acronym, BRAVING, B-R-A-V-I-N-G, BRAVING. Because when we trust, we are braving connection with someone. So what are the parts of trust? B, boundaries. I trust you. If you are clear about your boundaries, and you hold them, and you're clear about my boundaries, and you respect them, there is no trust without boundaries. R, reliability. I can only trust you if you do what you say you're going to do, and not once. Reliability, let me tell you what reliability is in research terms. We're always looking for things that are valid and reliable. Any researchers here are research kind of geeks? There's 10 of us. Um, okay, so we would say a scale that you weigh yourself on is valid if you get on it and it's an accurate weight. 120. Uh, okay. So that would be a very valid scale. I would pay a lot of money for that scale. Um, so that is a, that's actually not a valid scale, but we'll pretend for the sake of this. Um, that's a valid scale. A reliable scale is a scale that if I got on it a hundred times, it's going to say the same thing every time. So what reliability is, is you do what you say you're going to do over and over and over again. You cannot gain and earn my trust if you're reliable once, because that's not the definition of reliability. In our working lives, reliability means that we have to be very clear on our limitations so we don't take on so much that we come up short and don't deliver on our commitments. In our personal life, it means the same thing. So when we say to someone, oh God, it was so great seeing you, I'm gonna give you a call and we can have lunch. Yes or no? No. It was really great seeing you. Moment of discomfort, goodbye. <laughs> right? But honest, honest. So B, boundaries are reliability. A, huge, accountability. I can only trust you if, when you make a mistake, you are willing to own it, apologize for it, and make amends. I can only trust you if, when I make a mistake, I am allowed to own it, apologize, and make amends. No accountability, no trust. V. And this one shook me to the core. Vault. The vault. What I share with you, you will hold in confidence. What you share with me, I will hold in confidence. But you know what we don't understand? And this came up over and over again in the research. We don't understand the other side of the vault. That's only one door on the vault. Here's where we lose trust with people. If a good friend comes up to me and says, oh my God, did you hear about Caroline? They're getting a divorce. And it is ugly. I'm pretty sure her partner's cheating. You have just shared something with me that was not yours to share. And now my trust for you, even though you're, 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 you're gossiping and giving me the juice, now my trust for you is completely diminished. Does that make sense? So the vault is not just about the fact that you hold my confidences. It's that in our relationship, I see that you acknowledge confidentiality. Here's the tricky thing about the vault. A lot of times, we share things that are not ours to share as a way to hotwire connection with a friend. Right? If you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. You know, that's our... Yes or no? Like, our closeness is built on talking bad about other people. You know what I call that? Common enemy intimacy. What we have is not real. The intimacy we have is built on hating the same people. And that's counterfeit. That's counterfeit trust. That's not real. So the vault means you respect my story, but you respect other people's story. I, integrity, 
I cannot trust you and be in a trusting relationship with you if you do not act from a place of integrity and encourage me to do the same. So what is integrity? So I came up with this definition because I didn't like any of the ones out there and that's what I do when I don't like them. I, did, I looked at the data and I said, what's integrity? Here's what I think integrity is. Three pieces. It's choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy, and practicing your values, not just professing your values. Right? I mean, that's, that's integrity. In non-judgment, I can fall apart, ask for help, and be in struggle without being judged by you, and you can fall apart and be in struggle and ask for help without being judged by me. Which is really hard because we're better at helping than we are asking for help. And we think that we've set up trusting relationships with people who really trust us because we're always there to help them. But let me tell you this, if you can't ask for help and they cannot reciprocate that, that is not a trusting relationship. Period. And when we assign value to needing help, when I think less of myself for needing help, whether you're conscious of it or not, when you offer help to someone, you think less of them too. You cannot judge yourself for needing help, but not judge others for needing your help. And somewhere in there, if you're like me, you're getting value from being the helper in a relationship. You think that's your worth. But real trust doesn't exist unless help is reciprocal and non-judgment. The last one is G, generosity. Our relationship is only a trusting relationship if you can assume the most generous thing about my words, intentions, and behaviors, and then check in with me. So if I screw up, say something, forget something, you will make a generous assumption and say, yesterday was my mom's one-year anniversary of her death, and it was really tough for me, and I talked to you about it last month, um, and I really was hoping that you would have called. Um, but I know you care about me, and then you think it's a big deal, so I wanted to let you know that I've been thinking about that as opposed to not returning calls, not returning emails, and waiting for the moment where you can spring, well, you forgot to call on this important, you know, you'll make a generous assumption about me and check it out. Does that make sense? So we've got boundaries, reliability, accountability, the vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. These, this is the anatomy of trust, and it's complex. Why do we need to break it down? For a very simple reason. How many of you in here have ever struggled with trust in a relationship? Professional or personal? It should be everybody, statistically, right? <laughs> and so what you end up saying to someone is, I don't trust you. What do you mean don't trust me? I love you, I'm so dependable. What do you mean don't trust me? How do we talk about trust if we can't break it down? What understanding trust gives us is words to say, here's my struggle. You're not reliable with me. You say you're going to do something, I count it, you don't do it. Or maybe the issue is non-judgment. But we can break it down and talk about it and ask for what we need very specifically instead of using this huge word that has tons of weight and value around it. We can say, here's specifically what's not working. What's not working is we've got a boundaries issue. So one of the things that's interesting, I think, is one of the biggest casualties um, with heartbreak and disappointment and failure and our struggle is not just a loss of trust with other people, but the loss of self-trust. When something hard happens in our lives, the first thing we say is, I, will not, I can't trust myself. I was so stupid. I was so naive. So this braving acronym works with self-trust, too. So when something happens, I just recently went through a really tough failure, and I had to ask myself, did I honor my own boundaries? Was I reliable? Can I count on myself? Did I hold myself accountable? Was I really protective of my stories? Did I stay in my integrity? Was I judgmental toward myself? And did I give myself the benefit of the doubt? Was I generous toward myself? Because if braving 
Relationships with other people is braving connection. Self-trust is braving self-love, self-respect, the wildest adventure we'll ever take in our whole lives. And so what I would invite you to think about when you think about trust is if your own marble jar is not full, if you can't count on yourself, you can't ask other people to give you what you don't have. So we have to start with self-trust. There's a great quote from Maya Angelou that says, I don't trust people who don't love themselves, but say, I love you. Right? Um, she, quotes, she quotes an African proverb when she said that, and she said, be wary of the naked man offering you a shirt. <laughs> and so a lot of times, if you find yourself in struggle with trust, the thing to examine first is your own marble jar. How do you treat yourself? Because we can't ask people to give to us something that we do not believe we're worthy of receiving. And you will know you're worthy of receiving it when you trust yourself above everyone else. So thank y'all so much. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Thank y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed that as, as much as I did. I've, I've listened to it a few times now, and, and each time it is, uh, I find it challenging and thought-provoking and, and quotable. And my goodness, there are so many portions in that that are quotable. So why would I show that in church? For this reason. This whole thing that we call Christianity, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationships with one another. And as so aptly put toward the end there, it's about our relationship with ourselves. It's all about relationship. And without trust, there is no relationship. So this is vitally important. I love the way she breaks it down and gives us an opportunity to be able to have handles to grab onto and, 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 and specifics that we can, can point to. So let me, just, let me just make some comments about it and, and maybe some application at the end, and then we'll, and then we'll pray. So she begins telling the, the experience of her, her young daughter, Ellen, I believe, where her daughter experiences betrayal at school and says, and, and, and makes the statement you know, as a nine-year-old in the third grade. She says, I will never trust anyone ever again. Is there anybody here who hasn't been there where you've experienced some violation of trust or some, some betrayal and the thought either spoken aloud or certainly loudly enough within your own heart is, I will never trust Again, I think all of us have gone through that. And, um, and, so, and so she comes up and uses this, this marble jar illustration. I'd never heard of that before. I, I like the imagery. It works for me. And, um, that trust is like a marble jar. And a few quotes. I'll, I'll share some of the quotes that, that she, she gave. I thought were the best. She says, concerning, this, concerning trust, she says, you share those hard stories and those hard things with friends who over time, you've filled up their marble jar. And I remember listening, watching this the first time and, and listening to it, and, and I actually had to pause it and rewind it and says, oh, where we fill up their marble jar because my brain was going to the opposite at first. No, no the people we trust, they have, they've done, uh, we share our hard stories and those hard things with friends who over time, you've filled their marble jar. Hmm. They've done thing after thing after thing where you're like, I know I can share this with this person. That's really good. And so she, she asked her daughter, do you have any marble jaw friends? Do you have any marble jaw friends? As you listen to this today, how does your own mind not go there? Who are the marble jaw friends in my life? And, you know, I loved her, her daughter's examples of marbles that went into her friend's jaws, that she put into her friend's jaws. And why? They share a seat at lunch or you know, remembered the names of her grandparents. And, and so what was discovered in the study is that trust is built in very small moments. People who attend funerals, people who ask for help. I'll trust him because he'll ask for help when he needs it. Boy, that's powerful. And Dr. Brown stated that most of us 
are better at giving help than asking for help. I have to tell you, as a pastor, that is so true. My, my, uh, it was really challenging to listen to this. For, for 30 years, the journey I've been on is I'm going to help other people. And absolutely, my, I, my identity and my value has been wrapped up inside of that. And this was really challenging. And so since you, you know, just trying to be open and vulnerable with you, since that's the role I've been in, it makes it hard for me sometimes to ask for help. So if you're sitting here today and I've told you I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I need help, please understand that that's a great expression of, of my confidence in you and, and my love for you. you can, as you pray for your pastor, you could pray, because that really nailed me. And she quoted psychology uh, professor John Gottman, and um, this was awesome. He said, trust is built in the smallest of moments, what he called sliding door moments, where there's the opportunity to trust or the opportunity to betray. And she broke down the marble jar analogy uh, further by asking, what are the marbles? Well, the marbles are trust, but what is trust? And she defined trust and, and distrust by quoting author Charles Feltman. Now, trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Isn't that accurate? Boy, I thought that was right on the money. Trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. And in distrust, Feltman defines this way. Distrust is what I have shared with you that is important to me is not safe with you. Distrust is when I've shared something that's valuable to me, that's important to me, that's significant to me, and I discover that what I've shared is not safe in your hands. That's distrust. I thought those were, were just spot on uh, definitions. And then, and then to give us something to, to really grasp, she, she broke down trust into the acronym BRAVING. That trust is braving. When we trust, we are braving connection with someone else. And so B was boundaries, and there's no trust without boundaries. That you will respect my boundaries, and I will respect your boundaries. Reliability. I can only trust you if you do what you say you're going to do over and over again. You cannot gain and earn my trust if you're reliable only once, right? Accountability. I can only trust you if when you make a mistake, man, this is huge. I can only trust you if when you make a mistake, you're willing to own it, apologize for it, and make amends. And I can only trust you if when I make a mistake, I'm allowed to own it, apologize for it, and make amends. No accountability, no trust, right? That makes sense? The vault, right? Who, who can't relate to this one? What I share with you, you hold in confidence. What you share with me, I hold in confidence. And she said how gossip diminishes trust. i got to tell you guys, I'm a pastor a long time. I've pastored a lot of different churches. I tell you what, if there's, if there's one deadly poison arrow in the life of any group, even a church congregation, it's gossip. It's just a killer, man. It's like pouring poison all over your garden. You just watch it die. I liked her analogy of common enemy intimacy. Like when, when you violate, you know, the vault, and you know you become connected, hotwired with another person. Not because there's actual intimacy between you, but you share the same enemy. We both we both don't like what so and so did, and and so that's an artificial or an artificial intimacy account for trust. Integrity. I cannot trust you if you if you do not act from a place of integrity. And she again another great definition. She said, integrity is choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. And practicing your values, not just professing your values. Now, I don't know if Bene Brown is a believer or not, but that'll preach in any church I know. Right? That's good stuff. I mean, that's the truth. Non-judgment. I can fall apart, ask for help, and be able to struggle without being judged by you. You can fall apart, ask for help, and be in struggle without being judged by me. I have found over the years, and I get to meet with lots of people. Sometimes it's you guys, lots of people over the years. And sometimes I meet with them 
on some of the best days of their lives, and sometimes we're sitting and sharing a cup of coffee in my living room on one of the worst days of their lives. And I've found that oftentimes the, the most loving thing I can do is listen without judging them, right? Isn't that the essence of grace? Isn't that truly what, what good news of God's love is all about? And it needs to be reciprocal. It's got to go both ways. You have to be able to share with me, and I'm not going to judge you. I have to be able to share with you, knowing that you're not going to judge me. Generosity. Our relationship is only a trusting relationship if you can assume the most generous thing about my words, intentions, and behaviors, and then check back with me. So if I screw up, say something, or forget something, you'll make a generous assumption and talk to me about it. I think she's right on the money. So the anatomy of trust is braving. Boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. Now, statistically, we've all struggled with the issue of trust, right? Like she said, either personally or professionally. Most of us probably both. And this breakdown of what trust is, this braving acronym and the way she breaks it down, is helpful to us because it allows us to put a finger on why does this struggle with trust exist. It offers us a vocabulary to describe our, our personal specific struggle. I'm struggling with trust. Well, why? For this specific reason. And it aids us in pointing um, not only how trust has been damaged, but equally as important, how it can be restored. This is where trust broke down between us. And if we can work on this, then we can rebuild the trust. It also helps us to ask more clearly for what it is we actually want and need. She made application to the self. I could certainly easily see how it works with one another. Never thought about you know, the need to be able to trust ourselves. Am I the only one who has really negative inner dialogue? Do you say mean things to yourself? There are sometimes on bad days, on dark days, I'm not really nice to me, right? So self-trust, that applying the braving acronym to ourselves. She says, if your own marble jar is not full, you cannot ask other people to give you what you do not have. And so applying braving to ourselves is how we put self-trust marbles into our jaws. <laughs> and the two, you know, the, the quote from Maya Angelou and, and then the African proverb were great. It says, I don't trust people who don't love themselves but say I love you. Right? Those are people drawn from an empty well. And uh, the African proverb was just awesome. It says, you know, be wary of naked men offering you a shirt. So if you struggle with trust, maybe, if we struggle with trust, maybe uh, a good place to begin is to first examine our own marble jaws. So marble jaws. We have marbles called trust, and we put them into jaws called people. We put them into jaws of people who have earned those marbles. We put them into ourselves. But listen, we also put them into a jaw called God. Will we trust him? So I encourage you to personally apply the braving acronym at the start of this new year. Make application of it. If you're struggling to trust people, and you know it could be that they're not worthy of your trust, this acronym will be helpful. It'll probably be very helpful to you to better understand why there's a struggle trusting other people. If you're struggling with trust of yourself, then the application of the Braving acronym uh, may help you discover why. And my encouragement is if you could put a finger on it, then talk it over with someone whose marble jaw you've already filled and see what changes can be made so that you can walk forward into 2016 in a more healthy way. And if you're struggling with Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings, in all your ways submit to him, and he'll make your path straight, then use the braving acronym to discover where the struggle is in your trust, in your relationship with God. And if you need help with that, well, that's really one of the main reasons why I'm here, is to help you with that, those very kind of God issues.
Uh, as your pastor, I desire that we all will be in a place where we trust God deeply and walk on clear paths, straight paths that he set before us. And, and let me close with this. Please know that our God is trustworthy and that you absolutely can brave connection with him. Our God has healthy boundaries with us. He gives us freedom. Now, some of us, you know what? We've had bad experiences. We've had difficult circumstances in our life. And we've had bad teaching in church. And for all of that combined together, it's a big old nasty bull. We don't trust God. But I'm telling you today, he's really good. And that he's absolutely trustworthy. And you can brave connection with him. We have healthy boundaries with our God. He didn't create us to be, atom to be little robots that were uh, automatically obedient to him. He granted us freedom. Matter of fact, Scripture says, Paul wrote to us in Galatians 5, verse 1, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Granting us freedom to choose him or to not choose him. That's a healthy relational boundary. I'm not forcing you to choose me. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity. He invites us into a relationship with himself without forcing himself on us. God has healthy boundaries with us. He's reliable. Five times scripture tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us, including these words to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5. It says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's accountable. We can count on God. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We can count on him. His vault is absolutely secure. It's, scripture tells us that, that God tells secrets to his friends. Matthew 13 and Luke 8 tells us that Jesus shared, quote, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. And he did this with his closest disciples. Psalm 44 says that he knows the secrets of our hearts. He's a, his vault is secure. His integrity is absolutely impeccable. Psalm 145, 13 tells us that the Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises and faithful in all that he does. And guys, listen to this one, listen to this one, listen to this one. The God that we serve, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, non-judgmental. What? 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 He is. John 13, John 3, verse 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn or judge the world, but to save the world through him. Man, that's good news. And very few of us were ever taught that in church growing up. And then Jesus himself said in chapter 12, verse 47, he says, if anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, if anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. If that's not underlined in your Bible, I don't know why. If anyone hears my words, but does not keep, keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world, he's non-judgmental. You can come to him and you can expect that he will love you lavishly and extravagantly because that's his nature. I tell you what, the gospel is good news and our God is better than you've been told and better than you ever thought he was. <laughs> and he's, ex he's extremely generous. One of my favorite verses in all the scripture, 1 John 3, 1, see what great love. The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Jesus saw the best in the worst of people. And what did he do with those people? He made them his friends. He called them his disciples. He made them the apostles of the church. He chose them. And you know what? He chose you too. He's chosen each of us. So as your friend... As your pastor, as, as someone who's been on this spiritual journey for nearly 40 years now, I can tell you from my life experience that God is indeed trustworthy. Again and again and again, he's proven himself worthy of my trust.
And I'm confident that he'll do the same with you. So why begin the new year with a message on trust? Because whatever we face in 2016, and I offered a variety of insights of what I thought that might be in last week's message, whatever we face in 2016, the journey will be better with trust than without trust. The journey will be better if we can have healthier trust in ourselves. The journey will be better if we can have healthy trust in others. And the journey will be so much better, especially as a people of faith, as we're able to put our trust in God. So let's pray. John, you want to come up? Oh, God, we come boldly before you at throne of grace now. And Lord, I pray that as we move forward into this new year, as we do it as a community of faith, as the Charlottetown Vineyard, Lord, as we, as we move forward into 2016 as families, as individuals, Lord, grant us all that we need to have a healthy relationship of trust with you. Lord, give us all that we need, healing and freedom, mercy and grace, extravagant love, that we can move forward, O oh God, in healthy relationships with ourselves and in healthy relationships of trust with one another. Do it, Lord. Now, as John leads us in a final song, if you need prayer this morning, if, if any of this that Brene Brown shared in her message or any of the points I made, if, if trust is a struggle for you in, in, your, in any of your relationships with yourself, with, with other people, if you, if you really struggle trusting God, as John leads us in song, would you come forward? I'd, I'd really love to pray for you guys uh, today um, before we go. Um.